Welcome to episode 498 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, September 22nd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? Thank the Lord that it is Friday, my Lord. Big week, huh, Mr. Mom? Yeah, the the boy gets out at 11.30, and uh, we haven't set up the help that we're going to you know, need to, to get through this in the future. And so um, it was on me for a lot of the days this week. And uh, I don't want to put him just like in front of the TV and be like, Sit you know, there. daddy's going downstairs yeah. to work. So it's been been a lot of like, now why are you crying? And, you know, trying not to be on my phone, but having to get work done. Yeah, that's not been easy. I don't know how I didn't. I, I got most of everything done that I need to get done. I still have a couple more hours, but yeah, just I mean, uh, I went I went to babysit my niece last night, and you know, babysit her every once in a while, and just those you know, seven to ten hour chunks when I'm with her, I'm like, parents are exhausting. Everything. Exactly, that's what it is. Too. Yeah. It's not even bad. There's, there was she was a perfect angel yesterday. In fact, she wasn't feeling well, so she kind of passed out a little bit earlier. Um, but just the the constant attention, like. You can't, you know. So I, I, I. Uh, oh, sorry, it's starting to rain randomly. Uh, but no, I, fu- I fully respect parents. I mean, it's it, it's such a difficult job. Uh, but you got it done, well done, and uh, now you're heading into the weekend, the final weekend, uh, or see, excuse me, the the penultimate weekend of the regular season. Next weekend mm. uh, will be game one sixty two on Sunday. By the way, good vocabulary word. I, I love that one. Um, Mm-hmm. Love the. I think this is the third year of all the games starting on the same day on that last Sunday, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we've been writing up starters every day. Jeff's just went up for Saturday. Uh, after this podcast, I will be writing in the Sunday starters to pick up the low-owned guys that you can maybe finagle off of your waiver wire. So we're doing all we can to kind of help you with some of the uh, s- some of the last moves here. I know not everybody's involved in a race, but for those of you that are, hopefully we're giving you the tools that you uh, that you need to to hopefully succeed and bring home that title. But you know, we're going to talk a lot about uh, you know some of the overarching themes for some guys this year and how it pertains to next year we've been talking about um teams we've been talking about players that uh you know are on both sides of the ledger guys that are going to go into the playoffs guys that aren't going to be going in the playoffs and we have some pitchers that uh, one's going to be in the playoffs but he's having a rough year so i'm very eager to get your thoughts on him and then another who's nowhere near the playoffs former ace that had a very unace like year. A couple other guys, and then some either ors for 2018. So let's just dive right in. Let's start with John Lester. And I think the question right now, something that I get, you know, pretty much every time he starts now, is do I even start John Lester? You know, 10 team mix. Can I start John Lester? Because he's been so bad. He's got a 681 ERA since August 1st. So basically, over the last two months, he's really sputtering into the finish line. Obviously, it has implications for the Cubs at large, but fantasy teams too. What's going on with John Lester? I I took a peek under the hood and uh, it's hard to it's hard to kind of when when it starts steamrolling you're like oh my god this and oh my god this and oh my god this you're like it's hard to kind of keep perspective and be like yeah he's a, he's still a good major league pitcher but like I I didn't really like anything that I saw so the first thing that I noticed a couple of weeks back and I noticed this with Gio Gonzalez but um, I, I'd asked uh, Dennis Eckersley about. Uh, why did his strikeout rate take a lurch forward in like 2000 and, or 1992 or 2002? Anyway, 
near the end of his career, his strikeout rate, even though he'd been a reliever for a while, his strikeout rate took another lurch forward, like when he was 38 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, what was up with that? Did you discover a new pitch or something? And he said, no, no, the, the whole league was just gave up on the two-strike approach and was swinging at everything. Which is kind of like a hyper version of, or we're in the hyper version of that these days, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's where the conversation went with Dennis Eckersley. But the thing that kind of occurred to me was that in both of these times, we had these real leech forwards and stri- leap forward and strikeout rates. And it's kind of like we talk all the time about how we should be recalibrating our homer, our expectations from homers from players and our power expectations. And I think that we haven't necessarily done that on the strikeout level rate. So even though it's nice to see that Lester's strikeout rate has stayed about the same. He's been, you know, 25, 25, 25. This year is more 23.5. But if you round that up to 24, that's still above average, yeah. you'd think, in your head. But at this point, average is up to, like, 21.6. That's the thing. He stayed steady while the league has has jumped. So even though you look at that and you see 24s and 25s for the last four years for Lester, he's, he's fallen off a little bit, right? Even if it's only a little, I think you have to say that, that he's – He's regressed since the league's going upward. Yeah, yeah. And that and the fact that he took like a one point whatever tick backwards and the league took a one point whatever tick forward means that, you know, it's it's doubly bad for him. He's like way closer to league average than it seems. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Uh, another easy thing to to spot is that he's got the worst velocity of his career. And uh, that may be, you know, a big part of uh, of everything, but it only gets worse after you start looking under a hood. I mean, if you look at uh, velocity and movement, um, uh, so for example, the drop on his pitches, like he's getting the worst rise on his four seam that he's ever gotten. He's always had above average rise, and now he doesn't. Um, his uh, his curve is getting the worst drop that it's ever gotten, and I'm not talking about like a half inch or something. I'm talking about like a full inch worse than he's ever had before. Um, and, uh, they're all the result of, uh, multi-year trends. So it's not just like, you know, an aberration that you can maybe blame on the uh, calibration of the pitch FX or the stat cast machines or whatever. It's, you know, it's, he's generally, he used to have, he used to get seven inches, uh, or a minus seven number on drop on curve. So seven inches of drop on the curve. Now he gets three, uh, or 2.8 yeah so that's sharp and it's not even that he that it's uh that it's gone horizontal in terms of horizontal movement on his curve it's the worst it's ever been so uh i mean there is there is a little bit of a uh release point dropping over time that does lead to less over the top movement and more sideways movement but it doesn't explain like for example that doesn't explain last year to this year like his release point is pretty much the same from last year to this year it's just earlier in his career he used to be more over the top so now we've got velocity we've got movement we've got results looking worse because of um because of the league getting better around him and then the last thing and i was really surprised about this he has stopped throwing his four seam inside to right-handers he has always been a guy who throws inside. His whole deal is back foot. Like everything looks like, because he has to face righties all the time. His whole deal is to throw a ton of stuff to 
towards the back foot of the right-handed hitter. And some of times it's a, it, sometimes it's a, it's a four-seamer and it's a called strike if they stop swinging at it. And if they are swinging, then he throws a slider and it and it goes below their bat uh, towards his, his yeah his foot. slider cutter yeah combo that he can yeah. bust inside too the curveball um, that that is a huge part of Lester's game of course and by the way I want to point out one thing I, I cited the uh, the since August first his last eight starts six eighty one that kind of crystallizes the issue but it's been kind of an all year thing and the big issue that I've noticed isn't that he's never good it's that his blowups are awful they're horrific and if you you know just as a shorthand i look at uh games with a game score under 40 for those that don't know game score it's a bill james stat that kind of uh takes all the events of the game adds points or subtracts based on how good or bad you start at 50 so i think anything over like 60 is a pretty good start anything 40 and under is a pretty bad start he has eight 40s or below this year including a nine by the way that's not very good that I mean, you can't, you can't have a one. It's just been a rough, a rough, rough year, and the highest that that ties his career worst, which was in two thousand eight when he also had eight. And so I think that's the part, especially in these last few games here and down the stretch with fantasy, is that you're having to decide can I can I start him here because yeah I might get a quality start. I mean, just two starts ago, September seventh and thirteenth, he went back to back quality starts. Nice, yeah, but he also but had- then the most recent one against. Tampa, seven runs and four and a third. So it's that volatility that I think's become the toughest part. Yeah, and the 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 ten in those two good games, he had ten strikeouts against nine walks in thirteen innings or twelve innings. Exactly. There's already like some weird things going on there. And if you play the and the no strikeouts in four and a third against Tampa, and you can't really play the you know when would you play him game because you know in this bad stretch you would have probably played him in all of them. Except for maybe at Arizona, which ended up being a good, like a decent start. It was a three earned run, nine strikeouts, two walks, and six innings. I mean, that's that's I think actually how I think of him now. You know, that's that's a good game for him. Um, and mm-hmm. then, then, as you point out, the downside is worse than that. So, um, you know, just the fact that he's not throwing inside anymore at all just makes me really worried. And you know, to, if you watch him and you watch Bumgarner, you get there's a, there's the tunneling wizards. Everything looks the same until the last minute. But uh, I, I sort of feel like that is a fine line. I mean, if you're not, it's all about the swings, right? And if you're not getting the swings, then you have to. Or if they're, if you're only throwing to the outside part of the plate, they're gonna reach, they're gonna target that, and they're gonna hit it hard. And the teams. I think that's where he's getting in trouble is that if he's living on the outside part of the play, he's not getting calls. Those are the big walk games. He's had a lot of big walk games, and that's that's weird for him. And if it's even if they're not walking, uh, if he's being predictable in terms of location, then they can hit him, and that's where all the home runs have come from. And there's worse um, effective velocity on the outside and lower parts of the zone. So you're taking 91 and you're making it look like 88, 89 for righties. Mm-hmm. And so that only makes it easier, too. So a lot of factors working there against John Lester. And that's where we're seeing the volatility. We're going to talk about his 2018 outlook in just a moment. But I want to ask you, just for next week, he's supposed to have a two-start at St. Louis versus Cincy. Don't sleep on that Cincy offense, by the way. And we know St. Louis's offense is charging. How do you feel about starting John Lester next week? I mean, yeah. It's so hard to, because you'd like, well, what who am I going to pick up, you know? And 
Yeah, it becomes one of those things like, what are my options? That's why I think it's... But I think that St. Louis start seems somewhat appealing. I mean, it's not like St. Louis has been blowing the doors off people. Is it home or is it at St. Louis? It's at St. Louis, and he's facing Luke Weaver, though, so he might not... The the win could be tough. He might not get the win, yeah. But I, I, I like that matchup a little bit. I do not like the Cincinnati matchup. I don't like it at home or in Cincinnati, so... And and it, it's a possibility that one he, uh, you know, like we've talked about the we were talking on Twitter today about Corey Kluber on the last day, all the, yeah, all these guys, all the all the big names late in the season, especially the last r- round, if they're a playoff team, you you have no idea what's going to happen. They could yep. come out, they could go out there and throw two three innings and 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 call it a day. They could not even go out there. Um, maybe five innings, but they're like they're not going to pitch seven innings. You know, no, um, that's the thing. You know, they might say, "Hey, Kluber, you get eighty pitches," and he might get six because he's Kluber, but he might just right. go four and then pack it in. Uh, and then Lester's a one that I think would be even closer to them doing that with because they say, "Okay, you know, we're going in the playoffs. We want to get you some extra rest." To your point, yeah. by the way, about the Cincy start. They've whooped him this year. They they were the ones that put put nine seven earned and one and oh, two thirds against Lord. him, five in, or five runs, nine hits and five and two thirds, um, and then a baseline quality start six and six and three. But that was back on May eighteenth. So, I mean, if that's, that's your best the, outcome, that's not that's not worth holding on to, especially if you get that St. Louis start and then you're in all hands on deck mode after that. Lester is droppable right after that. Is, is exactly. So I, I'm more scared about the Cincy start than the St. Louis one. And if I'm picking, that's the one I'm picking. And if I'm saying start him or not, let me find a couple of other two starters here and see what you think compared to some two starters that we wouldn't normally have to like say. Like a 10-team situation where you might you might actually take this other two starter because he's an actual two starter. Some very interesting, uh, some names that are like not as interesting as they should be, but because Lester's struggling. How about either Angel that's going to be two starts next week? Nolasco or Bridwell, they both go to the White Sox and then get Seattle. Would you take either of them over Lester? Yeah, well, if you need, if it's like a head-to-head points league. Where just the innings matter. I might go Bridwell. And the last go, I mean, is 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 a, is a dart if I've ever if you ever thrown one. Absolutely, what and, I, and Redwell is to some extent too. But there's something to like decent command and four pitches that has uh, gotten him through uh, a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, Alaska has a five oh six ERA. I didn't realize it was that bad. I thought he was closer to like four sixty. Um, and he's he's geez, he's at five oh six right now. Nolasco is. With a 442 over his last seven, like yeah. brought it down to 506. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's. Pretty- I, I I mean I think long term Bridwell is not that interesting, but in this situation, if uh, if players if pitchers traditionally put up positive points, and and you're thinking of Lester as a good play because he's going to get two starts, um, you know you you don't know about that second start. I got yeah. one for you that you might say is a slam dunk in favor of this guy uh, a guy that she turned everybody on to last year daniel mangden riding a 16 inning uh scoreless streak here after a shutout at philly and then seven scoreless at detroit he's gonna face seattle and at texas would you prefer him to john lester next week um one thing about mangden is that the velocity uh 
when he's out of the windup is 93, and when he's out of the stretch is 91. It's one of the biggest in the league differences in the league. That's a pretty big. So game. he he's kind of an all or nothing thing where it's like, you know, if he keeps people off the bases in both starts, then then sure they they might be both be good starts, but as soon as Texas gets a couple guys on, it could get ugly. So uh, still taking Lester there. If you are in the pick and choose mode, if if you're in that situation where you can, you don't have to set it for the week and you can go start to start, you could take Lester against St. Louis on uh, Monday, cut him, pick up Mangden for Seattle on Tuesday, and then play it by year yeah. at the at the end of the week. Maybe I would do that if you're concerned about That's the Texas okay. start. But it's interesting locking him in. You you may not have a better situation than Lester. That that's the tough part, right? Because he's been. Do you have any? Uh, any I was actually names? gonna. I mean, because two start names in the last week are terrible. Anyway, it's really here's difficult. one that is going to be widely available uh, or more available than you would think because of his name. But Felix Hernandez goes to Oakland and L. A. The Angels. If he were available, again, we're talking ten teamers. Oh, oh I take that. Take Felix I take that. over. I take that over Lester. I think I would do, yeah. actually. Yeah. He's a Wiley Coyote, man. And those are not... I mean, yes, Oakland's a little bit better offense than you think, but they're not scary parks. So, you know, in terms of home runs, he's gonna gets a little bit of a, a little bit of a help there. He's... Uh, and the Mariners are sort of yeah. in it. And, uh, I mean, there's a risk that they don't even start him in the second start. But if I'm Felix Hernandez, I may want to get out there and be like, listen, it's been Precisely a bad year. Precisely what I was going to say is that he's going to want out there to get those innings and try to finish on a high note. It's been a rough season for him. One last one, um, Brett Anderson, we, we saw him come out, start to throw a little bit uh, pretty well with, with Toronto, and I think in the first couple of starts, but then he got absolutely obliterated by KC his last time out. Um, one in the third innings, eight runs on seven hits and two walks. That was after... Uh, five and two thirds, one run, six and three, six and two, four and a third, two. So you know, two good starts, one solid one, and then one meh, and then the and then the super dud against KC. But would you start him? Now this is tough at Boston at the Yankees. Oy, oy, oy. I think I think the uh, the matchups rule it out for me personally. Over at least over Lester. Yes. If, you, if you're getting desperate for Anderson in another situation, fine. But. Probably better than the other three that you said, though. You like Anderson over Mangden and Felix? No, over over maybe over Mangden, definitely over the Angels. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, over the Angels, I can get I can get behind that. And then uh, I lied. One one more, Seth Lugo. Uh, it looks like Who's he's going to get two starts because they have a double header. So yeah, he's going to get Atlanta at the back end of a double header, and then Ooh. at Philly. Ooh, I like it. I like that a lot. I, the so, question to me is if I like it more than Felix. One thing that's interesting about Lugo is that uh, velocity ticked up a little bit in the last one. He's starting to maybe feel it a little bit after. I mean, there was some hype for him coming into the season. WBC, he added to that hype because he was throwing like 95 with regularity. Well, then his arm popped, and so he was out the first two months came back started pretty strong hit a big wall in the summer there and now has kind of uh come to the finish with some good starts like over his last three it's been three solid starts but then one super dud at the cubs so there is volatility there with lugo but you gotta like the atlanta philly yeah i like it i like it and the the curveball uh during injury lost a decent amount of velocity in the last two couple starts he's shown it again so 
nearly back up to 80 on the curveball, and the curveball's his best pitch, so... Uh, I think uh, maybe below Felix. Um, yeah, although I think Seth, below Felix for me. Lugo is like would have to build innings, so there there might be a a, a a possibility that he's more likely to make the second start. So um, I think I like Felix, Lester. I'm gonna go Mangden Lugo. I, I like Mangden a little bit more than you right now. Yeah. I think. So I'm gonna go there, but I'm just I think a little the, worried about Texas. I mean, any given time. I think Texas the real point. Can, yeah. The real point is, Lester's not a slam dunk. No. You could find some wire options uh, that you would want to start over him. I, think I go. I, I keep, Felix, Lugo, Lester, Mangden. I keep adding one more, but I feel like he's been pitching. Let me look up his numbers before Who's I say. Bartolo hasn't he been pitching well lately? No, I I don't know. It's just one pitch. I don't, I just, no, never mind. Never mind. I, yeah. He had a couple good starts there, but it's it's literally awful or 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 good lately. Awful or meh, like awful or okay. You know, it's not like ace yeah, level. three two six four six. So yeah. never mind. Never mind. Okay, let's move on to the next guy who's also a two start next week, and so maybe we would uh, put him up against Lester. Johnny Cueto has certainly not had the season. Uh, that we would have expected, especially being out in San Francisco. You'd think, okay, well, this is it's a guy that we can continue to count on. I think injuries are a major part of it, but I believe you dug in under the hood on Cueto as well. What would you find about his 449 ERA and 142 whip season uh, out of Johnny Cueto? Okay, so this, is, um, this was a surprise for me. Uh, how many... Pitches, and I'm not talking this year. I'm talking the last three years. Last three years combined. How many pitches do you think? Uh, just guessing, because he throws a lot of pitches, right? How many pitches do you think he has that are above average by whiffs? I would say three. And so would I. Uh, so would I. I think he has one. Really. His four seems uh, right there. It's a little better than average, but um, uh, and that's actually sort of gone away this year. That's a little bit of a problem uh, for him is that the four seems taking a step back. But yes, uh, the biggest surprise to me was that his uh, his breaking balls, uh, which have been okay uh, in the past, in fact have been have been good at times. He had years where the breaking balls. Uh, got, let's see here, uh, the slider got 13, 15, 17, 12% whiffs. I mean, that's all sort of average to better. And right now it's getting eight. Eight? So eight, eight 8% whiffs. So the slider and then the cutter, which he, he throws uh, in terms of movement, they've been morphing into each other. Um, I think that uh, he's not a great breaking ball pitcher. Uh, if you think of him, he's kind of falling off the mound. Uh, that's kind of what Devensky does, right? Like, there's actually a, a little bit of a corollary there between Devensky's delivery and, and Cueto's. And uh, that falling off the mound delivery, I think, is very good for his changeup. And his changeup has always had great depth and great movement to it. And it's still a great pitch, even though he's throwing it more than ever. But uh, the breaking balls are gone. And uh, the fastball is getting the worst risk rate of the last five, six years. So he's 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 trending downwards. Um, the one thing that didn't worry me as much about Cueto as Lester is that his breaking balls have been bad for three years. For, 
Wow, that's really surprising. I thought you were going to say that this was, was just a this year sort of deal. No. So, like, we're – and the, a lot of the movement trends that, I've, that I was discussing with this breaking balls, they've been happening for a while. Um, there's no there's no big sort of oh my god goodness um, moment there there you know there's over time the slider has gone from having good depth to having bad depth but over the last three years it's had about the same depth so um, you know if his slider and cutter have morphed into each other it That's happened really three years surprising. ago and yeah and he's he's still managed to have some good some good years sprinkled in so you know it's not um, it's not uh, it's not really easy to to figure him out. I I would think that uh, health has been some some of it. Uh, I would say that maybe a little bit of poor luck on home runs. He's had a fourteen point six percent home run for fly ball rate, which is out of whack for his home park. That's for this year for Cueto, right? Yeah, and for his career, he's a ten percent guy. So he's you know he's been he's pitched in some bad parks for home runs. He pitched in the good ones, and he's generally had home run for fly ball rates that were below or at league average. So he hadn't, he hadn't really shown uh, a home run issue since 2009 until this year. And again, being in San Francisco, that was about the last thing that you would expect. That was the one thing yeah. you could say. Hey, even if his strikeout rate fell from the low eights that it's usually at to maybe high sixes, he gives back some strikeouts. At least he's not going to have a home run issue. Well, psych. He's at 1.4 this year. Yeah. That's bad. You can almost add up his home run per nine rates of the last two years and get this year's. Like, that's that's how yeah. rough it's been. It, you know, and it's it's worse on the road. I mean, the, his park is helping him. He gets he gives up 1.1 at home and 1.7 on the road. So, you that's know, he's given up. Uh, friend, though, at 1.1. It is. It is. In equal innings, he's given up 13 on the road and 8 at home. You'd expect that. Uh, I, I think I... I, think I consider him a decent by low i mean he's also so here's the one thing i didn't mention quite uh lester is 33 turning 34 soon and quato's 31 so you know it's not a huge amount of years but it is there are some years there and those I think, can be i think it is a years. significant enough gap to kind of uh you know put a separation between the two let's talk this week first and then and then the well actually we'll talk the the future for the two later we'll, we'll pair them against each other but just this week Cueto's slated to go at Arizona home to San Diego now you're talking about guys maybe losing that second start that would suck because he would lose the good one that said on the Felix end of things yeah. Cueto has 136 innings and I feel like he's going to say I'm healthy let me get out there and, and finish off this season so and he has an option out there so like if he could you know finish up strong these next couple of weeks he could you know consider uh not taking the option and seeing you know so he's going to be out there kind of talking his agent's going to be talking out you know to teams and trying to gauge an interest i'm not, I'm not sure that i'll be under the table i guess you're not really allowed to do that but yeah, of I don't course think you can. will be gauging interests you know <laughs> the thing is i'm just not sure he's going to find 88 mil or actually you got to you got to call it 93 mil because there's a $5 million buyout mm-hmm. at the end. Although there's just not a lot of starting pitching. So there's those two factors there. If he could have just had, he didn't even have to have a great season to make it worth opting out for Cueto. If he could have had a 370 ERA instead of the 450 that he has. And or even not, the, what Steamer hasn't projected for, 392, 128 whip, you know, that. Yeah, like with we, health. If he'd have had that yeah. with health, 
that yeah. would have been something that I, I could have seen him uh, opting out more. As it stands right now, I'd be really surprised. Worst situations, too, in that he had uh, an issue, but it wasn't a big issue. I, I, like, it seems, uh, for some reason, I'm like, you know, he didn't have the surgery. I wonder if this is if this, he's just going to sort of muddle along next year, too, and then get the surgery, and that'd be the that'd be worse because it's sort of dragging this whole thing out over time as opposed to just jumping in there and getting it. So, I don't know. Um, he He's kind of done this before, though, where he's had, like, a little health injury and been bad, like, a little health scare, been bad for a little bit, and then gotten it right. I mean, how many times has he done that? It seems like he's done that a lot. Well, and basically he did that in KC, yeah. Yeah. where he... he uh, first off, I would say part of it was the small sample volatility, but he also was dealing with some nicks with them, put up a 476 ERA in 81 innings, and it was like, well, what's going on with Cueto? He goes out to San Francisco, had a great year last year, and then a tough year this year. I could see him being a buy low. If he sinks too far, I'm going to be in on, on Johnny Cueto. But again, we'll talk his 2018 here in just a moment. Got a few more hitters to talk about before we dive in there. Um, I just have a question. I just have a question because I just want to know, is Jorge Polanco good? And I feel like the reason I can ask you is because you wrote about him. It came out of nowhere. You know, that huge month that he had uh, was so stark in comparison to anything that Jorge Polanco has ever done. Now, he was a prospect of some note, uh, and he doesn't have a ton of major league time. So when you factor in those things, you have to say, okay, you know, it's not like um, he had 800 plate appearances and, and came out of nowhere. But just within the context of this year, it was a bunch of 600 OPS months or worse, including a 276 OPS in 57 plate appearances in July, uh, 078 average, 158 OBP, 118 slug. And then, boom, in August, 373, 413, 686. Uh, he stayed solid this month with a 768 OPS, which, again, is well above what he'd done. So he kind of flipped the switch here within this year. What's up with Jorge Polanco? Is he good now? I think I think the the thing I like the most about his adjustment his adjustment was to really stop swinging as much and not, and stop reaching as much so that pitchers got in bad counts and had to send him fastballs. And I think he's you know he's a better fastball hitter, but he's a good contact hitter. So I actually think there's a, a chance that this adjustment that he just made presages a little bit like another like another level for him um and i and i could see him next year hitting 280 with 15 homers and 15 stolen bases um maybe you know maybe a little bit more on both sides but that that alone would be very good al only value and sneaky good like utility fill in you know backup maybe even back end middle infield uh in like 15 12 team leagues because of the of the steals. I mean you're really talking about like would you take a 280 hitter who hit 27 homers or 25 homers and didn't steal a base? You probably would. So, you know, that kind of package might be useful. I would take that. You're talking 280 15 15. That's not far off of what Andrew Benintendi did this year, hitting 278 with 1919. I'm not saying he'd be Benintendi, but he wouldn't cost nearly as much. He'd be like a baby Benintendi with short, middle infield you know. qualification. Yeah. He's a shortstop, so that that's really intriguing for Jorge Polanco. Um, it, he's got 11 and 11 this year. 70 ribbies is pretty nice too uh, for somebody who who kind of pissed away four months of the season before he really got going. So I think he, he's going to be somebody that. 
you know, is going to be under the radar and could be a big, uh, a big breakout guy next year. I think there could be some of that because, you know, we know he has contact skills. We know he has speed. We know he has athleticism. He actually has a ground ball fly ball mix that's conducive to power. It's one to one or even, you know, uh, even on the fly ball side a little bit. Um, and, uh, like if you look at his swing metrics, they're not crazy. It, it, he's not one of those like slash it, make contact and, and run type guys. Like he, he reaches less than average and he swings around average, um, to less than average. Uh, he definitely swings less than average. So there's like, if he could, if you could, if he could take what he did there and bottle it, there's, there's even a chance that he hits like 18 homers or 20 homers. I mean, this is a guy who has some pop. I mean, he's been pulling fly balls. He's been he's been hitting for power in this in this streak, and um, so you know, I, I and he might even push that walk rate up to eight, nine, ten percent. Then so, like, if you're telling me, like, I have a chance, I have a guy who has a chance to walk ten percent of the time, strike out fifteen percent of the time, uh, and put the ball in the air more than he puts it on the ground. That's already like, oh, you know, like that's interesting. That's, there's not a lot of guys. Four years old next year, too. By the way, yeah, not old. It like I said, be. he did come out of nowhere, but it was just in the context of this season for for Jorge Polanco. So it's definitely someone to put a star next to. And you really, when you start to kind of dig into this Minnesota roster, you see how they're sticking in it. It's this offense that is really rallied uh, to the point where they're not missing it's Miguel Sano. <laughs> No, it's the, there's nothing about the pitching staff outside of Santana and Barrios that I trust at all. Yeah. And, you know, it, it. Kyle Gibson's had some good starts. Okay, like I said, Cologne's had a few here and there. But there's, you know, Hildenberger's about the only reliever who has some good metrics. Everybody else is, is sketchy. They're slugging their way to staying in this. And it, it, it's it's been really interesting, and it's again it's just not the the usual suspects. Sano's been on the DL. Dozier did is did has done his thing. He's a second half beast. Buxton's uh, risen up too. We know about that Rosario, but then it's been guys like uh, Joe Mauer having a really strong season. Jorge Polanco, uh, you know Kepler was pretty good in the first half, and then he kind of passed the baton to Eddie Rosario, who's picked it up, and then little contributions from the Grossmans of the world, the Canese Vargases of the world. So, yeah, that offense runs deep, and that's definitely driving their success right now because they're, they're not doing a lot else on the pitching side. Uh, I want to talk about another shortstop, Andrelton Simmons. No doubt going to have the best season uh, of his career this year. I mean, he's already got 14 homers, three shy of his career high, but 19 stolen bases, nine more than uh, any time he's ever had in the 280 average is right in line with previous career high set last year at 281. Now, he is sputtering into the finish line, though. 194 average and a 538 OPS over his last 34 games. You recently wrote about Andrelton Simmons as well. What's going on with Simmons? Well, the, the good news is that he's added some of his pull power back he's pulling it more than he has in the last two years he's pulling it a little bit like he had uh when he had his good year with 17 homers back with the braves in his first full year really and in the piece i i highlighted that he is he does have some ability to push because they told him because he's a scrappy you know 100 100 pounds soaking wet guy they told him you should be you should be pushing the ball the other way, and uh, so that's where the power went in the last few years. And then he decided uh, either because of the ball or or because of a few good hits or a good spring or a good coach, he decided he should be able to pull the ball too uh, and 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 bring that back in. 
So if you look at his heat maps, he now has two power zones, whereas he used to have, even actually in the year that he had power, he was only a pull hitter. And then in the years they pull him to go the other way, his power uh, heat map sort of went to the outside part of the plate. And right now he has an outside part of the plate uh, power zone and then a down and in power zone. Um, I would say that the struggle has probably come from a sort of tertiary adjust, adjustment. Like an, he has to adjust it again because pitchers have probably noticed that he's pulling the ball and he's kept pulling the ball, but he is not pulling fly balls. Um, so I would guess that pitchers have found a pitch that they can throw that maybe looks either like a fastball loan in that he likes to pull for power. Uh, maybe it's in, maybe it's a cutter or a, or a breaking ball down and in that looks like a fastball, but whatever it is, he's now sort of topping the ball. Um, I hope that he comes out of this and says, you know, I can do both of these things. I just need to lay off uh, certain pitches down and in, uh, and he doesn't go back to his old approach. I think my projection for him next year would still be uh, sort of that two eighty fifteen fifteen, uh, probably safer than Polanco's, but maybe Polanco. You know, being younger um, and being more of a question mark. Uh, I mean, who would you rather there? I guess we both take Simmons, but that's a, that's more of a floor yeah. question, right? And and um, if you start to factor in cost, I think Polanco like closer, yeah. gets a boost. Yeah. Because Simmons is going to be more expensive, his numbers are going to jump off the page a bit. Uh, you know, he's with is with the Angels, who are going to have uh, at least still Mike Trout. We'll see if they are they figure out a way to bring Justin Upton back. Um, although, like I said, I just got done saying how good the Twins' offense is, so that, there's not necessarily an advantage there. But I think Simmons, in a vacuum, you know, with all thing all else being equal, if you start to get into price, it, it becomes a little bit more Polanco. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's an interesting either or. That I've always liked Simmons, and I've always wondered why he had that 17 homer spike in 13 and then just fell apart for three years he was just a complete zero with the bat until last year he hit the 280 with with the 10 stolen bases that gave him some value as like a middle infielder but four homers man you got to make that up elsewhere even if you're putting him at middle this year 14 and 19 280 i like that i, I think he's got some more uh maybe not another level but but more years he's one of this the guys who's, uh, who's benefited the most from the juice ball that's that's uh he shows up on all of this. Yeah, Jose Ramirez is another interesting one actually. He he's at has twenty seven homers. If you dejuice the ball on him, he, it goes down to seventeen. So there are a lot of these guys who are in the sort of fifteen. Wait, how do you, how do you dejuice the ball? What 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 metric are you running there that uh, gives a? Uh, I would check uh, Andrew aspect. Perpetua's uh, uh, Twitter feed. He has two of them, but I think maybe on Derpy Mets um, he. Uh, he oh, he uh, did a dejuice leader ball. Uh, actually, I think he actually wrote a piece for Rotographs. I think he wrote a piece for Rotographs where he dejuiced the ball, and he has a leaderboard on there. Um, and uh, yeah, Jose Ramirez is on there. Basically, you just um, there's two things happening with the juice ball. Uh, players are hitting it harder, and uh, it's going further. So you can actually translate both of those things into exit velocity. Um, you take the exit velocity that they're actually hitting that's harder and, and subtract it, and then you convert the distance further that it's traveling into an exit velocity number. Um, it may be double counting, but I do think this it is... makes sense. I mean, what you're saying is the ball is going further and it's being hit. F- it, even if you hold exit velocity the same, 
it's going further. So you have to account for the fact that it's going further too. Um, and uh, he's done the he's done the math, and he did it when he deduced the ball. The numbers, the home run totals for the year looked a lot like they did like three years ago. So you know, I think okay. it, I think it makes a lot of sense. And and what you it also sort of explains that thing where Judge loses like two or three homers, but uh, you know, Anderson Simmons loses like nine. teammate DB Gregorius <laughs> loses yeah exactly homers. So uh, those guys are all a risk. The one thing I would say is, uh, and it's risky for us uh, when we're looking forward, because if the ball does change again, and we assume that these guys would hit home runs, and we bought a lot of these fourteen homer guys, um, you know, we would be ass out later. But and we, yeah, we probably won't realize it until like May, a month, you know, month, month and a half in, we'll be like, oh right. damn, and the then we've got no true. homers, but. I think the the way that you make it easier is you just make sure that the guys you have steal bases. And I think uh, some part of me says that I'm more sure that Polanco. I think I would take Polanco's stolen base total over Simmons's next year. I'm not sure about that. I think that's completely fair. Uh, one of the reasons age alone. Yeah. We just see guys run less when they're older. He's never Angleton Simmons has never been like a huge burner. Now the one thing working in his favor over these last two years, he's been uh extremely successful. Mm. He's 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 twenty nine for thirty six on the bases, including a ten for eleven he's a really last year. Smart player, man. He he used to be a pitcher. He used to be a pitcher and uh and just he's really athletic but also smart and hard worker. I mean I, you know, he doesn't get as much credit as he should sometimes. I, I completely agree. It's you know the defense definitely keeps his name on the positive end of things, but I think overall you look at this guy and uh, Anderson Simmons is a damn fine player all around. One of those guys that, you know, up until this year doesn't do a lot on the fantasy end, but then you would talk to other baseball players or, or managers or front office people and they're always saying how much they would love to have him on a team. Hard to square that with fantasy where it's been a zero for so long. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. I, I think I would uh, just try to make sure that if you're buying these guys, I think Didi maybe, um, I believe his power a little bit more. But if you're buying these sort of 15 homer guys, I would just make sure that they have some steals too. Because then yeah. if everyone if everyone loses their homers, there will be, like Simmons, if they do deduce the ball, like Simmons could go back to four and four. <laughs> I mean, he's done that. Or yeah, maybe maybe just the four and ten of last year. Uh, but yeah, if he goes back to four and five, he did that in 147 games two years ago. Four homers, yeah. five five SBs, and a two sixty five average. You can't really play that. One thing I would say to protect yourself there is make sure you draft some power guys that are pure power guys that don't matter. The ball does not mm-hmm. matter. Your your Aaron Judges, your Gene Carlson, obviously those, get those guys, yeah, yeah. But but like Chris Davis, like just the guys who you know they can hit anywhere, anytime. Like, if you went into NFBC next year and you thought, I'm so smart, I'm going to punt power, basically, because there's so much power, and I'm just going to draft a bunch of guys who hit 20 homers and steal 20 bases, basically. You could be uh, in trouble. I think it sounds it sounds great until, you know, you, we all realize that they mucked with the ball again. I, yeah. I, I would, I, it's hard to... Um, it's hard to sort of uh, triage this. and, and I, I would have a hard time doing that. I would be careful. I think you almost have to go the other way. With with power being so plentiful, you have to get more to compete. It, it, it doesn't, you know, the numbers are yeah, all going up, right? I guess, but my AL Labor team, man, if I had just, I thought I was drafting, it was the weirdest thing. I thought I was drafting four steals, and I ended up with like 30 steals combined. 
I mean, Lindor and Anderson, you know, combining for 20 steals, that's not what I expected. No, not at all. No. And Lindor hitting 52 million homers, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, I did expect Gary Sanchez to be great, so give me credit for that. But... <laughs> I will give you credit, by the way, because I, I gave you hell on that one. I was like, yeah. I don't know if that was one of your picks that I didn't love. And that one's been one of your unquestioned best picks, uh, best purchases, I should say. So that definitely has worked out. But it, it's I think the what this year has done is going to create – um, some really interesting draft strategies next year because it is so different from what we've seen over the past few years. And speaking of 2018, I want to talk about some some either-ors that we've been doing over the last uh, few episodes here. I want to get four more. Uh, one of the pitchers, the, the two pitchers that we just talked about, and then three hitter ones, Lester or Cueto for next year. Who are you drafting first and why? I think for me, these guys are force, maybe. Uh, in a traditional sort of twelve fifteen team like type league, I think I'd I want that they'll last that long. You know, none of them, neither. I, I think I think you might have to take them as threes. Well, that's why I'm saying. I guess I wanted to say that because I think it's a neither. But if they did fall to me, maybe maybe a three, maybe I okay. I'm definitely not buying as a one or a two. So these guys are not in the top thirty for me, and uh, top forty. I'd have to actually have all the pitchers in front of me, but that's where maybe they start to come in. So let's say I'm buying them as my third pitcher. I just want Cueto. I think that, you know, I think that his problems are less easy to diagnose. And like I said, his problems have been going on for longer. He's had good seasons. He's in a great home park. Uh, There's also, you know what? I almost think that injury in his case is good in this case because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, he was injured. Whereas with Lester, you're like, uh, what's going on, dude? I honestly I agree injured? with you because there are times where it's like, at least I have an answer. I don't know that he's going to be healthy or whatever, yeah. but at least I have something I can point to with Lester unless we hear something in the off season about how he was hurt. We're just left wondering. Well, I, actually, we're not left wondering. You broke it down. You, the, the changes in his skills and approach are what's hurting him. I'll give you some uh, insight here. We're doing a 12-team. Uh, it's a head-to-head base draft with uh, in this league, guys. And we are in... Let's see. We're in round 15, and I'll already tell you that Cueto's still available, which is crazy. I'm going to remedy that with my next pick if he's still there. And Lester went in the eighth round. So this this mm. league, and obviously this is a you know super early mock, but they valued Lester at least seven rounds higher than than Johnny Cueto, which to me is that's lovely. I'm I'm. I think that's uh, that's our. And by the way, I stand corrected on you telling you you wouldn't get Cueto as a four. Now this is one sample, but Cueto's going to be like you're, a five here to at this point. Yeah, I'm if, in. If I I'm get in. him, he's going to be my six because I have Verlander, Garrett Cole, Dylan Bundy, Barrios, and Chase Anderson. Oh, and I think he's a great guy to put in that mix because you're you're mixing some old old guys and some breakouts and some recoveries. I mean, it's that's a real fun kind of staff actually. You know, you've got your Barrios, your breakout young guy, but you don't want to only have Barrios. Yeah, Barrios Bundy, so. Barrios Bundy, cover my. Hopefully, one of them surges forward to be a superstar. Verlander, even if he comes yeah. back, I think he'll be steady Eddie Cole even still has breakout potential. Well, breakout's the wrong word because he's broken out before, but he has like rebound to a high level yeah. possibility. And I've been like liking so much of what I've seen out of Anderson that I think he's got a pretty high floor next year, too, even if he comes back off of the uh, the excellence that we've seen this year. I also have Brad Hand as my one closer right 
now. And uh, but yeah, Aloha, Mister. Take Cueto next, and then uh, get another an, another uh, closer later. So yeah, I'll, I'll be writing about that closer to when it's done. But uh, I'm with you. I'm taking Cueto first off. If he's going to be that much cheaper, it's a slam dunk. But even as I think their ADPs will come closer together uh, in the winter, I'm still going to lean Cueto over Lester. What about uh, Christian Yelich and Andrew Benintendi? They were compared a lot in, earlier this year in terms of when people were asking what's Benintendi going to do. Always kind of a Christian Yelich type. Now, for me, I thought that meant that he would kind of take Yelich's career trajectory and have to kind of build up to the power. But then the ball was super juiced, and it was like, okay, well, he kind of cut out those first couple years when Yelich hit nine and seven home runs and jumped immediately to the uh, to the Yelich that could hit the ball out a bit. Uh, if you look at the two this year, they're they're pretty damn near equal. 18 homers, 15 stolen bases, 283 for Yelich, and like I said earlier, 1919 and 278 for Benintendi. So next year, who are you taking first? Benintendi, and uh, two reasons. Uh, 23 years old mm-hmm. to yeah, at least 25. So a couple more years of potential uh, of sort of improvement there. And then the other one, uh, better minor league, I guess this is uh, sort of three, but better minor league ISOs. So better uh, power uh, sort of upside. upside, which is also evident in the ground ball fly ball mix. So I, I talk about that all the time, but this Benatendi has a one-to-one, which may not produce... 30 or 40 homers, but I could see him next year hitting 25, you know? Some idiot took and, Yelich in the fourth, and Benintendi went in the sixth of the mock I'm in. <laughs> That's fine. I took Yelich. I mean, I, I think that they're... Uh, the, your pick was safer. And that's kind of what I was, uh, I was going... I mean, I, w- I was honestly surprised because they were actually the top two guys in my queue, and I just went... I, I went for Yelich... I could not believe that uh, Benintendi was there for two more rounds. And the only reason I didn't take him was because I really wanted Verlander. And it's a three outfielder thing because I could have taken him in the sixth round too and gotten both guys. He would have been my third outfielder already. And I was like, oh, I'll find somebody else in the outfield that I like. So I passed on him there where I don't think I normally would have in a five team or in a five outfielder league. Although in a five outfielder league, both probably get moved up a little bit. So keep that in mind when we're talking about these uh, uh, ADPs. It's a head-to-head league, so it's a little bit different than the traditional roto that you and I usually focus on. All right, next up, big power guys. Now, you know, I've, I've made a lot of jokes this year about how anytime he got a base hit, people were talking about how Kyle Schwarber's coming on, coming on. Well, he did have a really good second half. C- credit where it's due. Uh, in 913 OPS, 16 homers, 251 average. It's, uh, it's on base and slugging that's done it. But he's had a nice second half. Kyle Schwarber or Chris Davis with a K for next year? Hmm. I think it's a bit of an upside floor discussion again. Okay. And in the last one, I took upside. Um, however, I'm not so sure that I take upside here. I think that I might take Davis. I don't, I'm not uh, certain that the upside of Schwarber is so much more tantalizing that I don't want Davis's floor. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Davis is the Davis is a metronome. It's like 40 homers a year. Exactly. And what what is the upside with, with, with Schwarber? A, a full year of his second half, so he hits 250 with with 40? Okay, that, that's that what Davis like is. Davis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've said, I, uh, we, you know, I may have come off as more excited about Schwarber in the past than you, and you've been uh, the Schwarber wet blanket for a while. 
Um, but uh, the, I really think a lefty Mike Napoli, which I think kind of gives you upside and the downside all in one. Mike Napoli did okay. Uh, no he doubt. was a decent player, uh, and he was valuable in Roto uh, for many of his years. A left-handed version of Mike Napoli would be better than Mike Napoli. Um, and so could give you a 250-40 where uh, Mike Napoli, I don't know, did he ever do that? He never hit 40. 34 was yeah. his career high last year, yeah. and it was with a 239 average. He did have that one spike here. It was 113 games, 30 homers, and a 320 average with Texas. That was very clearly his Otherwise, career. Otherwise, you see these 220s, 250s uh, with power, and then he, then Schwarber's a lefty, so I'd add you know power to each of those. So, yeah. Like 240 with 35 homers, if you just want to sort of wave your hand at it. Um, I don't know. That's uh, that's uh, that's interesting to me, but it's. I think Chris Davis has just proven that he's a year in year out guy. Yeah, I, I would I would take Davis as well, but I do think Schwarber's price will be a lot uh, a lot more reasonable next year, and that will bring me back in because that was always my biggest complaint was that we're paying full price on a guy who hasn't done anything to deserve full price, and so I think this year, even with the yeah. big finish, people will come down and say, okay. Finally not taking him in a single-digit round. We can put the catcher-pipe dream out of our heads. It's just not happening. Because I know that was part of the reason. And in Yahoo, I know he was catcher-eligible, so go ahead and take him there. That's fine because he could have. He had a very – even with his 208 uh, season average, you know, he's been useful as a catcher with 29 homers at Yahoo. So I, I get that for Schwarber, but there's not going to be any of that catcher stuff next year. He's just a power-hitting outfielder. There's plenty of those. Now I will say – he is one of those guys whose power will play even if they dejuice the ball. So if you do take a few of the the Polancos, the Didi Gregoriuses, those guys that we're talking about that got really ben, uh, had major benefit from the juice ball, and you take a Schwarber to balance that out because his power will be there, I totally get that. But that's why I'll be taking Chris Davis too. All right, <laughs> last one here. Chris Taylor or Javier Baez? A couple of uh, utility guys, who super utility I should say, that – you know, do a bit of everything. Huge breakout year for Chris Taylor. Baez, not quite as uh, huge of a breakout year or anything, but but really solid. Career-high 22 homers thrown in with uh, 10 stolen bases. Batting average, which we always thought was going to be a concern because that first year he came up and struck out like 95% of the time that he batted. Um, 273, 274 the last two years. I really like that. He's really cut the strikeout rate down to a reasonable for this era level. It was 24% last year, 28% this year. And yeah, he did spike to 28% this year, but he also doubled his walk rate to kind of counter it. So Javier Baez is developing, uh, I'd say, pretty nicely. And he's only going to be 25 next year, too, so I think there's still more in the tank. Chris Taylor, a little bit of a late bloomer breakout for the Dodgers, but it was only going to be, I think, 26, 27 next year. Uh, 21 homers, 16 stolen bases, 293 average. Who do you like better, Taylor or Baez? I tell you, I'm really biased towards the type of pair, player Chris Taylor is, because he's more of a kind of walk, uh, you know, patience guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a stupid little thing, but I was just talking to JD Martinez, and they work with the same hitting coach, and you know, JD Martinez is God, so. Um, God, I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Craig Wallenbrock is their guy. So I'm going like, wow, I, you know, that's, that's, uh, it's tickling me in a lot of the right places. So I, I think Javier Baez has always been the guy that 
I was biased against, especially early on in my fantasy career, where I said, this guy doesn't know what he, you know, he doesn't really have an approach. He's just out there Same thing with Schwarber, hard. right? He, we were paying full price for a guy we hadn't seen do it yeah. yet. Yeah. At least that's what I always felt. Yeah, but I mean, like, Baez just has that kind of swing from your heels look, and um, uh, I don't know, there, there's... Uh, there's still that that still wants to push me towards towards Taylor. It's interesting. I may I may have a weird response. It's not that I think that these guys are bad. It, I'm a little bit worried about like playing time, I guess. And I I don't I might take a neither on this one. It's just um I don't That's interesting that you brought that up. Sorry to interrupt, but somebody asked me today if I would downgrade guys on the Cubs and do, he he cited those two teams specifically, but his general point yeah. was Teams that are loaded with tons of talent that rotate a bunch of guys. Would you downgrade their the the guys who aren't one thousand percent locked in as the starters, which there's only a few on each of those teams? Are so you are downgrading those guys a little bit? I yeah. I mean, the are you sure that he'll that he'll that they'll get the same playing time? And it, I think it's really interesting that Javier Baez had such a great year and. In some ways, it was a, a repeat of last year, and he only got 480 plate appearances. You know, like, yeah, you should have pushed someone aside. And I like Addison Russell. We all like Corey Seager. So he may, they may, like, in terms of dynasty and keeper, like, they may not have a ton of years with a shortstop eligibility. Baez has a little bit more of an obvious place to go, I guess, in second base. But doesn't Chris Taylor have that? I mean, who's yeah, the Dodgers' certainly. second baseman? Chase Utley, who's five thousand years old. Yeah, I mean, so so the pomade wonder, I think, is is probably going to run out of juice between those uh, those dry bone on bone knees that he's got. So, um, you know, I, I so Logan Forsythe here. Too, I, sh- I should mention. Yeah, there's Logan Forsythe. But the, that's that's the larger point, which is that these guys have a lot of rotating parts, and these, you know, you have a great season like this on the Braves, and Chris Taylor next year is their starting whatever, you know. Um, yeah, batting second yeah. with 650 plate appearances, pretty much in the in the bank if he if he can stay healthy and not not tank. I, I hear you on that. I think that is fair. I guess the question would be like how much, and then my counter to on those two specifically would whatever you're going to take off for that uh, playing time scare. Would you then build that back in? Say you take a dollar or two off. Do you give that dollar or two right back because of the position flexibility? And so then they're right. They're right at the same price anyway. Because mm. I would personally, I really do value flexibility, especially um, fifteen team. Uh, definitely, obviously, once you start getting in shallower leagues, it's less valuable. But I think it's valuable in every league type, especially with all the injuries that we have. The ten day DL. I just like being able to move three, four guys around and have my chance at you know as many free agents as possible. There's nothing worse than seeing the top free agent of the week and saying, well, I can't really fit this guy in. And then you can't, you can't pick up the, the potential stud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It also, yeah, it sort of limits the, the, the ceiling, right? And just like, it, unless they really just, there's a kind of unlimited ceiling though. Like if they do take a full-time job, then, they get the benefit of all those runs in RBI that you get from having a good team. Exactly. So, and, and, you know, we can't predict injuries. I, I think that 
just generally the fact that these guys had such great years and still didn't get 600 plate appearances says to me, you know, more likely they regress next year, even if they regress to a place that we like, which is totally why why we might still buy them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they even if they re- if they regress, even if they regress to a place we like, that doesn't necessarily make an argument for more playing time. I think that's fair. You know what I mean? No, I think that's completely fair. If, if you, but the question was which. And despite all my biases, I might take Javier Baez younger. Um, I think maybe slightly more open playing time. Um, because because Taylor's not taking shortstop. And I doubt he takes center field, but maybe. Uh, but Jock Peterson is a, is a, is a starting level second center Could fielder. Could take left field? And... Um, well, then you have Ballinger and Gonzalez. Anyway, there's, oh, yeah. there's, you could put a, a real life player in all of the positions that he would want to mm-hmm. play. There's no, um, there's no like, uh, to, like Logan Forsythe's the closest place where, but Logan Forsythe could regress positively and, and be a decent player next year. Whereas I think uh, you you put Zobris in the outfield uh, for the for the Cubs, and uh, there's an obvious place for Bias. Now this is going to change. Right. Hang on, I'm looking up something here. I mean, with Hayward falling off so badly that his bat is just lame. Um, I was looking up how many how many players uh, have have logged 600 plus plate appearances. Now, with a week plus left, it's obviously going to go up. There's plenty of guys on the cusp, but this year only has 52 qualified so far after 88 last year, 81 the year before, and uh, only. So more teams are doing that, yeah. Yeah, only not 2011 just fell below 75 when they had 68. Oh, they were one away from magic. So I don't know how many are going to get it this year when you add in you know the rest of the way, but only 52 so far. So I think that that kind of speaks, again, to not penalizing guys like Taylor and Baez too hard for it. Even if you do build in a penalty, just make sure it's not too extreme. Like I said, if you if you were thinking off the top, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discount them three bucks because of this. Maybe cut it in half. And I know dollar fifty, you don't do fifty, but you know, just say maybe a dollar or two. Because yeah, nobody's really, everyone's getting rested. No one plays a buck sixty two anymore. It's just yeah, the the most unbreakable record in the league I think right now is Cal Ripken's. Cal Ripken, even yeah. more than Cy Young's wins. Well, not really, but you get my we're point. Going towards platoons and yep, you know, platoons and resting yeah. guys, making sure. Now here's the thing. What if Baez and Taylor were only this good because they didn't have to play the the entire seven hundred plate appearances? You know, there's that factor mm-hmm. too. I think put put in good positions, uh, put in platoon positions. Exactly. Uh, you know, allowed to rest. Yeah, it's possible. it's possible. Just something to think about. I think that's more of a football thing because uh, you see it where the guy gets, you know, oh, let's extrapolate his 112 carries to 300. It's like, well, then it's not going to work. That oh way. yeah, it's not going to work that way at all. And so it's not. I don't think it's the same in baseball, but I think they're maybe a little something bit of parallel. Uh, but yeah, I, I would take Taylor personally there. So I would take uh, Taylor Davis, Yelich, Cueto. You're taking Cueto, Benintendi. You said Davis over Schwarber, right? Mm-hmm. And then did you say Baez or Taylor? Um, I was about to say that I think I go against my uh, instincts and, and take Baez because of the uh, situation at second. Okay. Or so left. Cueto, Benny, Davis, I think, and Baez. I, believe, I guess what I'm saying is I believe in Jock Peterson, and I guess I believe 
in Logan Forsythe's bat more than I believe in Jason Hayward's bat. Oh my god, that's what I just said. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm wrong. It just, I can't believe I said it. It just feels weird, especially with <laughs> yeah, Logan Forsythe being like five years older or three or four. Yeah. Years older. Um, and not a great bat. No, yeah, <laughs> and a middle infielder. After two good years, I, I thought he was going to flourish with LA. I was so excited about Logan Forsythe. And he completely flopped. So we'll see if he bounces back next year. All right, you know, I want to end with a little uh, kind of off-the-field stuff. There was the, the the discussion about the Pat Neshek, Zach Greinke thing. Let me catch people up for those that don't know. For those that don't know, Pat Neshek is a huge collector. He's, uh, you know, never been shy about um, the fact that he loves to collect and that he uses his access as a major leaguer to kind of further that. I don't, th- I don't think that he goes around selling it um, – or anything, I think it is for his personal collection, but I don't know for sure. But either way, he's been trying to get Grinky to sign for a while. Uh, he saw him at the All Star Game and asked him, and apparently Grinky said yes. Uh, you know, catch up with catch up with him down the road, and they'll do it. They played, I believe, this past week. He sent some cards over to get signed uh, in the Arizona clubhouse. Grinky was like, "Nah, no thanks." And so then Nishek caught up with him in the outfield and was like, "Bro, what's your deal?" And basically, Grinky was like, "Dude, you wear you wear me out. Like, yeah, you you annoy me." And mm. then that prompted Nishek to go on a sports collector's message board and call Grinky a turd. And so that you know got out publicly. Uh, you know, I, I would say overwhelmingly people are taking Nishek's side. I think anytime it's like. I, I don't know that it's so universal that you can automatically take Nishek. I, I think I lean closer to Nishek, say, especially if Grinky said he would do it and then he and then he flopped on that. But I don't think that just the idea of declining it is completely out of bounds for Grinky. I, I only think if if you said something, you might as well do it. And then he did say something like, "I wouldn't even sign for your son" or whatever. I don't think Grinky said it knowing that Nishek tragically lost a son, which people are trying to project onto the story. I would not go that far at all because I don't think Grinky is a piece of trash that that would say that. Nishek has another son, right? Or yeah, yeah. I, I, at least that's from everything I read. He does. So, but like I said, people yeah, are trying to say, "Oh, well, he probably doesn't yeah. know that Nishek's son." Well, yeah, he probably doesn't know that. So that's why he. That's why you don't. You can't yeah, count that so against him. So then it's him. not as mean as you think it exactly. is because he doesn't know it either. Yeah, exactly. No, so what, what did I, you think? I, I I think this is really interesting because uh, I think it's kind of. It's. I think it's a lot grayer than people have it. And um, the, the reason I think that is not necessarily... I mean, I know Granke, and I, and I think that his uh, personality and, um, you know, issues in the past, I think they might be part of the story, but I don't actually think uh, they're the key part of the story. Um, you know, I think actually this is a story about access. Um, if you look at a player's life... Uh, you know, with regards to people asking for signatures, a lot of it is they come off the field, right? They have batting practice. They, they, they're they in front of everybody. They come off the field, and then there's a scrum waiting for them above the dugout, right? Mm-hmm. And they um, are... Uh, i got to be careful here because we probably have collectors listening. And I'm not talking about all collectors, but some of those people are not good actors. No. They are... They they will use kids to get signatures for them, um, so it looks like kids asking for signatures, but they're just collectors that are trying to sell, and yeah, it's, it's just bucks. a group. Here you go, old man. Yeah, you know, and they get to keep one of the cards, and then they give the other fifty back to them and stuff. Right. 
there's a lot of shadiness they, that goes there. They supply them with lies, and I, I'm not sure that they're all lies, but I've heard enough, hey, I went to school with your sister, and I know Annie, and like I'm like, no, man, you just looked up his Wikipedia page and are just saying some stuff at him. That's, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening I here. I couldn't even uh, imagine the goal of, like, I don't know, I would just be so uncomfortable lying about that for, for like an autograph, oh. too. I, oh, I, some of that, yeah, some of that scrum makes me uncomfortable. And I got into baseball through baseball cards, so it's not Same. it's not the collecting. It's it's uh, it's just the weird manipulations and the weird things that they do. Exactly. So I, I don't uh, begrudge anyway any adult that collects. Or, uh, it's not. I don't think it's only a kids thing. I, I I'm with you on that. But it's when you take yeah. it to that next level of being a piece of shit to to further your your collection and your gain. And so, so that I mean, this is why we're starting to understand why this is so complicated. I think so. So that uh, creates a sense in players where they're like, "Oh, like no," you know. That's why people are like, "Oh, why won't you sign for my kid?" Well, do it's okay. Maybe your kid's cool and, and nice, and yeah, but that player has also seen like twenty five thousand people asking him for autographs, and maybe eighty percent of them were dicks. So, uh, sorry for your, your, your beautiful young son that, you know, would like an autograph and sorry he was a dick on that day, but there were probably like 30 other people around him who were collectors and just hounding him. So, uh, so that's, that's, I think some context for, uh, that situation. Now here's another bit of context. If I, as a baseball writers association person asked anybody for uh, an autograph, I would lose my baseball writers association card. So I think that's a little bit of a hint to how baseball wants to treat its spaces. You have your clubhouse, you have the field. If you get into the clubhouse and you get onto the field, then you are not allowed to ask for an autograph. Don't use your access for gain. Don't use your access for that sort of gain. And so I think a player asking for autographs jumps right into that interesting gray area. And and there were a lot of people saying, well, it's a fellow player. It's a it's um it's a nice thing. It's a compliment. Well, yeah. Or it's an intrusion onto your private space by a player who gained access by you know by being a player. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you think you're um, in a safe zone of of not getting, and I'm not talking like safe space. I'm saying like when you think that you're not going to be dealing with that, I get. I get I'm not fully and then against you, it. Then you can add in these other nuances where it's like, oh, well, there are these rumors that Nishek is selling to this one group of people online, um, so he could be just profiting off of his access. And then you have uh, other people bringing in uh, Granky's personality and, and, and past issues. Yeah, I, don't, um, I don't like you that. Know. Well, that stuff, I think, is not as concrete. I don't know how that interacted. I don't know if Granky's personality led to this. Uh, I have been told by people that Greinke has signed for Neshek, Neshek in the past. So, oh, really? Uh, and these are people that I that I trust. So, um, you know, the, in this one situation, like Neshek is kind of making it seem like this is his one situation where he just asked one time and Greinke uh, said he would and then he didn't. Um, if he if Greinke has signed for him in the past, that you wore me out changes tone a little bit, right? Exactly. It's not you're wearing me out this time. It's you've asked me a plenty of times before I've signed for you plenty of times before I'm getting tired of it. You know? Yeah. If he's just trying um, to get an Arizona one to go with his angels, his Milwaukee, whatever, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, and if he is asking for multiples from different, from one person, that means he is kind of wearing people out. Like, 
like, oh, Nishek wants me to sign again? Like, w- c- like, could you imagine saying that? And then you're like, then you're like, put it into the context of, oh, but, you know, damn it, man. I, you know, <laughs> like, uh, when is enough to say no? Because here's the thing. The one thing I constantly heard was, it doesn't take that long. Just do it. Like nobody outside of you, when you, when you brought it up, any of the podcasts I listened to, whatever it was, reading it on Twitter, it was almost universally against Granky. Like no one understands how that could be annoying as hell. Like at all. Yeah. I, I, I think it's yeah. kind of easy to see how that would be a pain in the ass. I think it's because of our, our the, the way that we are coming to the story is sort of from fandom, right? So we, we put ourselves, we align ourselves with uh, the kid, the good kid asking for a signature. Mm-hmm. And so we automatically all become Nishek in the story. And we and we we then we sort of project uh, the good kidness onto Nishek, right? So we're oh oh Nishek like and people were literally saying things like he wanted it for his kid. Well, his kid three years old. Do you think his kid knows that Granky just stiffed him? He's going to explain to him the whole thing. In order for his kid to be mad at Granky, Nishek would have to go home and explain the whole thing to him yep. and like really detail. Like I have a three year old. Like my three year old would be Granky who. You know? Like, what are you talking day, about? Or you could just say, didn't get a chance to. Like, yeah, if, uh, if I, that situation, that would be on Nishek to point out to the, to his child, listen, I tried it, didn't work. This is not Zach's thing. Yeah. You're not guaranteed. And then said, like, okay, and we had this whole Twitter exchange, and Nishek said, okay, uh, I'll talk to you on the field at 1030. Um, you know, see you there. You know, like I won't be there, and you know that's I made a promise, and that's what this is about. Um, well, uh, yeah, okay, good point. That's happened to me a million times. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, it, it, there's a there's also kind of a power structure situation in here that nobody wants to talk about because one's not a star and one's a star. And you know, how many people are bugging Nishek for his autograph? Right, not that many. And if they do, maybe he's like, oh, sweet, you know, this feels great. You're Zach Granke. People are, want so much from you. You know, they want to get, they want, can you get on TV with us, Zach? Can you get on TV? Can you go on the radio with us, Zach? Can you sign this, Zach? Can, you know what I'm saying? This is a $280 million guy. So I, I, nobody wants to defend that guy because it's easy to say, oh, he's rich not and more. he doesn't understand the, he's not a person. He doesn't understand the, yeah, he doesn't understand the, 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 the common man anymore. He, he doesn't want to give this good kid a, 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 uh, a signature. Well, what if Nishek is selling those things, you know? And what if Nishek was hounding him? And what if, you know, Granky was, you know, people want to, I wanted to separate it and say, well, this is an interpersonal thing. Maybe Zach was not being great uh, on a relationship, interpersonal, human to human level. But I want to put context around this, which is that, you know, people bug him a lot for signatures. And exactly. There, it's an interesting, there's an interesting player access question here. No. Uh, but, you know, there there could have been uh, interpersonal things on both sides. Maybe Nishik was hounding him. The way he puts it is, oh, I only, I asked him. And then, and then, and then what? He even admits he followed him around and was yelling at him. <laughs> okay, so, oh, so it's all on Granky. Granky's crazy because Nishek is the one running around yelling at him. Yeah, asking him, you told me at the All-Star. I mean, that was like how many That's times? That's crazy, dude. In two months, you're like, uh, you don't quite follow up. I don't know, man. Like, people just did not That's put what I'm saying, too. Like, even on that level, we all make promises a lot. And listen, I it's not great to renege on a promise. But, like, let's say you 
it's something that people ask of you a lot. Like, come on my podcast. Like, I, I, a lot of people ask me to go on their podcast. Maybe I told you I'd go on your podcast. And maybe I missed it. If you're listening, I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. Uh, thankfully, none of you have gone on Twitter <laughs> and uh, posted on forums that I'm a bad person and, sure. like, ran around behind me yelling at me. And that's, that's the thing. Like, I'm not even saying that I'm fully against Nishek here. I just wanted the other side to be brought up, and I think that you did a good job of that on Twitter. You were respectful uh, talking about it and just saying there are two sides here, and everyone was so quick to just say, and I think you painted brilliantly about the whole fan aspect of it and that everyone wanted to project themselves on there and be like, oh, man, yeah, that would suck, and Grinky's this bad dude. I just don't see it that way. I really see it as two sides. The communication got broken down. They're obviously not like best buds or anything. So the expectation was pretty high for Nishek. It was unmet by Grinky. I don't think that makes Grinky a bad person. You, if you want to talk about a bad person, like find me something that he actually did that's bad. Not signing your autograph, even if he said that he would. Just doesn't just doesn't cut the uh, you know do, doesn't reach the level. It's bad on the level that we're all bad. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, so he's a human is what you're saying. Awesome. Cool. Good yeah, to know. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to finish with that. I, I it, it's been something that's been talked about a bit. And again, I really liked that that you were willing to step back and and put down the the pitchforks that are all going against Granky. And we've we've professed our our positivity towards Granky before, so keep that in mind that we do have probably a pro Granky. Yeah, it's maybe I'm biased by you know having a professional relationship. But I also with Granky, think that the but... way you explained it shows that you're just looking at both sides here. And I think that that's the important thing when everyone's just violently agreeing on one side, you got to step back and be like, okay, hey, what, let's. What are we dealing with here? Granky here is not, you know, <laughs> this, the, the crime he's being uh, accused of is not is not a punchable thing. So I, I hope this is the end of it. I, I actually was going to joke today that the year it's the year 2084, and that tweet is that from Pat Nishek is still getting liked <laughs> on my timeline, but uh, because it's it's like still going. Every time I log into Twitter, there's somebody retweeting it or calling me an ass or, or calling Granky an ass on my on my timeline. I'm just like, I can't. Whatever. Okay. All what right. The freak. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just the part that annoyed me was just that it was so rampant against him with no consideration to the fact that we only got one person's side and they got to, you know, they got to frame it how they want it. By the way, if you trusted Ubaldo yeah. Jimenez after his 10-strikeout game against the <laughs> Yankees, you got what you deserved. It's 4 nothing in the first inning, and you're stupid. And I, yes. I chucked and ducked with Cobb a little bit in, in one of my leagues where I kind of was like, all right, worst-case scenario, I'll get the Ks, and I need the Ks. But uh, Cobb's got to get out of this, this jam right here. He's got two on, two, one, and one out, no or out. No, excuse me. Davis yeah. up. And wish he had that splitter. That could be a high-scoring game there in Baltimore tonight. You know, somebody's asking me about Homer Bailey and why he's not back because his velo is okay. And I said he probably didn't get his splitter back. Exactly. He didn't have a splitter um, for the for the six starts last year either. Yeah, yeah. That's the that was the concerning part, and that's why I just Cobb splitter has not come back. No, and we've been talking about it all year. And even when he had that good period, because I've asked you and Jason about him repeatedly with Cobb. And yeah, it's just it, all fastball and curves. It's always been, nope, he still doesn't have it back. Uh, anyway, you know, let's get out of here, and uh, and we'll talk next week with, with just a few days left. And then after that, it'll be playoff-based stuff that we will spin to talk about guys uh, for 2018 and beyond. You know, have a good weekend. 
and thanks for listening. <laughs>